Hi, I'm your host, James Barrow, a creative turned marketing director with over 20 years' experience in the advertising industry. Join me as I go behind the scenes with a range of innovative thinkers. Hear what inspires them, their processes, and the methods to their madness. Find insights that can help unlock your creative potential and apply them in your life, career, and business. Right here on The B-Side with James Barrow. How can we balance business smarts and creative freedom to drive brand success? In this episode of The B-Side, I sit down with Simon Brock, a creative and agency leader who's reshaping the advertising world by serving as both the ECD and the managing director of Digitas ANZ, where he's breaking the traditional boundaries between suits and creatives. Since 2016, Simon has been at the helm of Digitas ANZ's creative outputs, crafting impactful stories and experiences for brands like Arnott's, EA Games, Pernod Ricard and Virgin Australia. We dive into a range of compelling topics, including navigating the fine line between nurturing creativity and driving business growth, how we can harness data-driven insights to inform creative decisions whilst preserving the more emotional and human elements. And he introduces us to the novel Sober Tipsy Drunk Method of Creative Development, which I thought was a really cool approach that fosters calculated risk-taking and allows your team to have a lot of fun in the process. This was a really insightful exploration of marketing technology, digital strategies, and multi-channel creativity. Simon's exceptional perspective is both a creative and business leader makes this conversation truly truly valuable i hope you find it as enlightening as i did cheers accidental fasting i just forgot to have breakfast and then i and then i got here and it was a wild little start to the day so uh, (laughs) caffeine was breakfast accidental bout of fasting yeah so (laughs) are you into the intermittent fasting by any chance uh, a colleague of mine is and is always very vocal about when he's intermittent fasting yeah don't you hate those people it's it's always like Uh, yeah no i don't hate them hate is such a a strong (laughs) word i never use the word hate hate I don't dis. I dislike you guys when you brag about your 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 discipline. And I, it's, I, yeah, I mean, I've yeah, yeah. It's, um, I've never done it deliberately, but occasionally it just happens. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's that's breakfast. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you. It's not not breakfast now. It's the afternoon, and I was a little late for this one. I do apologise, and I thank you and your team for allowing me a uh, grace of an Honestly, hour. no worries at all. I feel like um, if you can't be flexibility, you know, if you can't be flexible, what can you be? So, of course, thanks for, uh, thanks for being here. So I've already given the audience an overview um, of you. We've, we've recorded this with the magic of editing. Time machine. To time machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you, though, in your words, give people a bit of an understanding of who you are, where you're from, why you're awesome. Uh, who I am, my name is Simon Brock. I am a... a a massive creative nerd. I love stories. I'm kind of borderline obsessed with collecting stories, telling stories. I tend to talk too much, um, which is great for being in podcasts. Uh, I am obsessed with music. Music is kind of my gateway into all my kind of creative endeavors. Music was my gateway into, you know, most of my best friendships. Um, you know, music's still a huge part of my life and where a lot of my you know joy comes from i also happen to work as a general manager and executive creative director at a digital agency called digitas um which is a global agency i first joined digitas um at the other side of the world in sweden and now work for digitas here in australia um and ultimately you know i i try to just help our clients and help our people and help our teams solve problems and and tell interesting stories Wow, you're getting a lot to come back to. So uh, I'd love to start with you on music and define your involvement in music. Like, are we talking musician, 
based sound design, sound engineering, um, sound effects, even all, and all, all sorts, and and massive fan as well, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, if we jump backwards, I started playing music when I was like ten. My my family are musical. My um, dad was an amazing pianist. My mum mm. like loved music and was always music in our house. Uh, when I was ten, my brother was twelve like a, a sort of musician came to the school and showed off a bunch of instruments that you know, mm. he was he was there to teach people how to play. Um, he picked up a tenor saxophone, sort yeah. of the, not the small one, not the really big one, but like the yeah, cool middle-sized yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, I remember him saying, you can't have rock, rock and roll without tenor sax. And my brother and I both went home that day and said to our parents, like, I want a tenor saxophone. And my brother's like, I want one too. You know, my parents were normal, wonderful kind of working class humans who decided to buy their kids two saxophones, which was like an amazing investment and like commitment to giving their kids access to music. Um, And it set me off on a whole path of loving music, playing music, learning how to record music, getting into sound Mm. engineering. Um, Pretty much every job I've ever had, including this one, kind of came to me through, you know, connections through music or through, you know, working in that industry. Um, And so, yeah, it's been a, you know, it it continues to be a really defining part of my world. It's just sort of jumping through till today. Uh, I still sort of make music for fun. Um, I spent my weekend, you know, playing around with... Uh, virtual instruments in Ableton Live and, you know, just making music for the joy yeah, and the play yeah. of it. Um, and, yeah, and, and to be honest, most of what I know about creativity has also come from learning about music and music theory and, you know, collaborating with other musicians and all that kind of yeah. stuff. That's fair. I don't want to front load the episode with all of the fun questions, <laughs> but I'm <laughs> dying to ask you. You mentioned a few things, and I know it's kind of relevant to Digitas because you are this omni-channel you know, you're dealing with creativity and insights and data and data, data. Do you say data? Whatever feels comfortable, yeah. yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and you're meshing them all together and it does feel like a collaboration of thoughts and ideas and philosophies and, and strategies like akin to um, music in a sense. You're dealing with these clashing sounds that would otherwise on their own feel disparate. You know? Yeah, or dissonant. Um, dissonant, yeah. I should say, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've... For many years, I mean, yeah, Digitas is a interesting, nuanced agency. We have data people, media people, creative people, strategists, technologists, and amazing client service and delivery people all in one agency. Um, and it is, and we, we often kind of re- refer to what you know we call band theory. You know, in a, in a, yeah. in a band, you need a often you need a front person who's charismatic and charming and wants to listen to, but you need a guitarist who's happy to like play rhythm and put down that, you know, that mm-hmm. important kind of, and then you need a drummer who just wants to hold things steady and doesn't need to show off. You need a bass player who, you know, gives everyone a foundation. You need different people with different skills um, who are all really eager to play different roles. And I think that's, that is really similar to what our agency mm-hmm. is like. Um, and that, you know, that collaborative, connected sort of spirit, different skills all pulling in the same direction is very much what we try to foster, you know, on a daily yeah. basis in the work we do. It's such a way of organising people around an objective, isn't it? Do you know, like, you can really talk, like, leaning right into that band theory, like, I guess what would the objective be? I'm just trying to throw some thoughts out there, mm. just hanging with this. So the objective for a band is really just to self-express and entertain, right? And And obviously... And the financial side of things come in to sell tickets or albums or whatever that end, you know, objective is. Mm. But you're rallying around this real um, application of a very defined 
yet diverse creative output. Yeah, you're trying to create an output that, that has benefit for you but also has benefit for the audience. Yeah. And, and I think that is what brands need to be doing more often. I think in some cases marketing skews too heavily towards you know brands doing what, what they want but forgetting audiences. In mm. other cases, sometimes brands do things that people want but they've sort of forgotten to, to find a business kind of benefit from that. And, and yeah, you're right. There's that sweet spot of how do you, whether, whether you're an agency or a brand or a band, how do you create something that's valuable and meaningful to you, but is also valuable and meaningful for the person receiving that message? Yeah. That is a constant balance that's really you know, increasingly difficult to, to strike because our audiences are diverse and they're in different places and they have different you know, thoughts and feelings and needs. Um, but that is, I think that's the, the magic that we try to create you know, for our clients on a regular basis. I'm going to jump around a bit because I think it's kind of relevant that I keep going with this because I love the duality there. And I know your role, you're both the ECD and the managing director, and you're wearing two hats or you're playing two, you're playing two instruments in a it's, sense. This metaphor is working, isn't it's, it? I yeah. love this metaphor. <laughs> you're playing two instruments. You're making it easy for me, man. Um, you should come back. <laughs> no, <laughs> so you're, you're the drummer as well as a front man um, or, you know, close to it, the lead guitarist at least. Do you have a CEO or are you? We do have a CEO. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Ed, he's he's the he's, he's the front man. He's the front man. <laughs> well, you're, you're the power strumming lead guitarist, and you and also the drummer. That's probably not the right metaphor for the creative, it's but not we'll far just off. we'll yeah, just yeah. hang with that. How do you? I guess how would you um, manage that balance between those creative objectives and the business objectives of you know those that are a bit closer to the role of the MD? For yeah, example? yeah, yeah. Um, the there used to be a world in which um, being creative on behalf of a brand, you could be making the most interesting content you know, that someone out there would see. And you know, we used to all have favorite ads and we would talk about favorite ads. And these days when I, I still ask people what their favorite ad is, and most of the time they're mentioning things from you know, a decade ago or two decades mm-hmm. ago, from a time when we were kind of starved of content and therefore you know and advertising and marketing often played like a role in filling that gap whereas today there's content everywhere there's channels everywhere and we have you know people have abundant choice you know and autonomy over what they're watching and when and how and so i you know have kind of learnt in recent years that really for brands to cut through in a marketing sense they need to be not just trying to interrupt people on the way to getting something they want they need to create things people want you know and so that's sort of ultimately what we're trying to achieve is to create digital things on behalf of brands that people want and you can't really do that just by being creative anymore mm. i think it's increasingly difficult in that world you know you need to think about you need a deep understanding of your audience so you need some data people you need some strategists you need a deep understanding of the channels or platforms or you know, the, the medium so you need some media intelligence you need a really kind of a, a deep understanding of what the value exchange you're trying to achieve is because you're trying to make something that people want. So you need the strategists as well. And so for me, where, you know, uh, t- traditionally, I guess, creatives and, and sort of managers, you know, business managers have often been rivals and, you know, kind of mm. you know, had, to, had to duke it out over what to do. I think in the current context, you kind of need you need to bring all those different skill sets together. And so that's where I decided to kind of evolve my role from being responsible for a creative team into being responsible for galvanizing creatives with other skill sets. And that's how I sort of try to balance those two roles simultaneously. 
I would imagine you're moving away from that suits and creatives kind of mentality that seemed to permeate the industry. And maybe there's still a bit of, what does that look like though, uh, in reality? Because I'm picturing your agency still has a creative department where you've got your creative sitting there. What, what does that look like from a client perspective? Yeah, so we still have, we, I mean, we have um, teams like you would expect, you know, in many agencies or many holding companies, data team, creative team, uh, strategy team, media team, technology team. They all have, you know, leaders. They also, and they're galvanized by client service and delivery teams. Um, I guess what's different is that, you know, from a creative point of view, we don't have traditional creative pairs like lots of agencies mm, do. Mm. Um, and most of our creators spend more of their time working with strategists or technologists or yeah. media people than, than just purely creatives. We try really hard to blend those skills. We, we genuinely believe that we're at our best when we bring our whole selves together around our clients' problems. Sure. And so we, we try to... M- organize our model that way and realistically you know we we think that to deliver this kind of you know connected marketing creating digital things people want um it requires a breadth of thinking and so we're we're built for that we don't have the same depth as a Mm. pure play creative shop or a pure play you know technology firm or a pure play media shop we have a breadth of skills and fortunately we're part of a big group who you know, of other agencies who do have that real yeah, depth sure, of sure, skill. And so sure. we often play the kind of the connective tissue between agencies within either a you know, publicist group or in agency villages. We try to be the ones who help spot the kind of the common ground and the overlaps and bring those things together. Or on some of our own clients where we, you know, we operate multiple pieces of the puzzle, we try to bring those different worlds together. Um, and it is a different model from many agencies, um, but it's one that I think is is purpose-built for what can be a very fragmented, you know, world and digital world, which we're trying to de-silo our own skill sets so we can, um, you know, better help our brands connect with their customers. Just speaking, it feels what's really coming through is this agility, you know, so you don't have that depth, but there's this agility. And if I use the term agile and agile ways of working in a, a traditional advertising agency sense, they'd probably look at me um, with, you know, um, They'd be quite perplexed, I think, because it's far more a digital IT startup-based culture. Mm. Firstly, would you agree with that statement um, from a traditional agency perspective? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think a lot of traditional agency models are waterfall. A lot of product companies and and, and businesses that make products lean heavily into... Uh, agile, um, and then some businesses kind of go with a like a lean design model. We use all three, and we use them in different yeah, ways. Yeah, I would love. Times. Can we talk about how you've sure. done that? Because I know a lot of people struggle with that. You know, mm. um, I'm the head of brand content and creative at uh, Macquarie University, and I'm trying to find ways we can implement align with more of an agile model beyond my department and my remit. So there has to be a knowledge uh, of that uh, agile methodology and a respect for that agile methodology, but the pragmatic side of getting a job briefed in and then out seems to default back to um, more of that waterfall studio Mm. model. Mm. Um, And all those, the cadences and the rituals just follow those standard rituals, whereas outside of that, we work in with the agile. I don't think that's the right model yet. I think there's an easier, an easier way. There's a mm. far more seamless, integrated way. I don't know what that is, but I'd love your thoughts. I mean, I think we all we're all constantly trying to figure out the right balance. In a, I mean, and you know, without going into the ins and outs of clients, you know, we have some clients who have, you know, who 
fully engage in an agile way of working and have internal scrum masters and have done yeah. training all through the yeah. business and that's you know it's end to end you know when we when we built out Qantas.com um, which is going back a few years now you know that whole process was a big team um, you know Qantas internal teams and our teams you know working agile you know, real agile proper agile um, other times you know they, we've got some brands where we uh, lean more into a kind of a waterfall sort of methodology for you know the like for the briefing process so that they can easily kind of you know give information that we need and they they don't necessarily have the scale or the infrastructure to to kind of work in a sprint based model but then when we bring that project internally we might sort of operate in an agile model but then you know go back to them with what feels more like a waterfall kind of um, playback because that's what they're comfortable with and then as we move into sort of optimizing of projects or platforms or campaigns we you know have more of a lean model and and it and it kind of changes and flexes i mean at the at the heart of being able to do that you need really smart operations people people who are you know deeply passionate about we, we and we happily have a, a brilliant head of ops who is um you know constantly reading about different models and different combinations of models that different businesses use um but it is it, it also changes i think for us you know, part of our agility is a degree of comfort with different models for different clients. Yeah. Some clients tell us they don't have the capacity to engage with us in a in a real agile agile manner. Manner, yeah. and others others really do and want to lean into that. And you know, mm. and some have are, are leaning to that currently. So it it depends. I think the um, would you invite clients to those scrums when you were if absolutely. you were to work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. you know, sharing early and sharing often has always yeah. been our ethos, and so which is which is opposite to you know the agency model, the traditional agency model where it's the sell, mm. and you're waiting, like if you were to follow the agile model, way too late to be showing the client. You know, you're you're Fuck. way too far in the iterative process. To... Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much risk involved. I mean, yes, yeah. there's, and there's a part of me that loves the the big reveal. And mm. that loves the big pitch moments, and you know, often you know, being it's antithetical the, to the agile philosophy, yeah, though. Absolutely, isn't it? It really absolutely. Is. Yeah, 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 totally. And yeah. In, in big creative pitches we've done, you know, I, I often really relish that moment we get to stand up and do the big, you know, here's the hype talk, and then mm. here's the here's the film, and then here's the tagline, and here's the mm. the the thing. But it's a lot of effort going into a very high risk moment of yeah, for you know, for weeks worth of work. Do you like it or not? as opposed to you know a few hours or days worth of work mm. as to you know do you like it or not no you don't okay why not yeah. what do we change let's get there faster so i think the probably just given the 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 speed and the kinds of outputs we make we try to do less of the big reveal yeah yeah that's really funny because i work quite very closely with the digital teams specifically the ux and cx teams i do have digital designers on my team as well who also sort of work between two teams and what I love about the way they present work, um, right from the research through the prototypes and final build and design and so on, is you. No matter what stage you're at, you can never say no. I mean, you can, like, as a client, you can. There's, there's because everything's in backed by research. Mm. You, you, you've been there, been in there on the journey, along the journey. Mm. You've, you've, you've chimed in with, chimed in with your input at those critical milestones. Those moments that matter throughout that journey, you, you're never left with mm, no. You can talk about variables and the nuance and, mm. and you know, change the color, change or, the colors and stuff. Yeah. But you're never left with no. Whereas mm. in the agency model, there could be a big unfortunate no mm. at mm. the end of that presentation. I don't like it. You know, which is to your point, huge waste of time and resources and risk and and 
you know, you're crushing the souls of people who've put blood, sweat, and tears into yeah, this thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of unsustainable. <laughs> yeah. for like from a human point of view, having having done that mm. many many mm. times, have gone mm. here's my big moment, and sometimes mm. it's like mm, nah, and you're like, oh, okay, um, uh, that's all I got. So I'll see you again in two weeks and hope for the best. Like you can't really sustain a. a, a business on on that particularly when you're operating with really complex you know products yeah. and, and yeah. outputs so um yeah i think the, the share often share early we we also have this design philosophy it's probably overstating what it is um that we call sober tipsy drunk it's very sober so, tipsy drunk it's very sophisticated is it like t-shirt sizing um, but it's like no well, <laughs> i'm trying to figure yeah, out yeah a little bit <laughs> i mean it probably goes back to band theory doesn't it but um but this idea of you know the that a challenge with operating in a kind of CX world, in a world where everything's mm. measured and everything is backed by evidence and is, everything is kind of best practice, and you can run into a world where there's no magic left in Yeah, true. It's funny you wrote that. In my notes when you were talking, your strategy, and I was looking for metaphors and I wrote, um, it's kind of like either a band or a comedian and all of these things have to come together, the strategy, the comedy, the context, the music, um, the, the, the resources, the people. Mm. And the magic. Where's, yeah, where's that, that magic? Bit? You know, yeah. that little sizzle. And so, sober, tipsy, drunk. As foolish as that sounds, it is kind of our our very simple model for you know the sober is like what's just the solution that on paper works, that really is you know I, I you know you can put it in front of anyone and be like yeah that that'll do the job, that's on brief yeah cool. The tipsy is you know let's just have a bit of fun with it and bring mm. a bit more personality, and the and the drunk is like not what the answer should be. And is specifically mm. meant to not be what the answer should be. It should be the thing that's like kind of gone left of centre or too far out there. You're talking but, about simulate, simulation hypothesis and UFOs and yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. Which which is kind of and we call it that because it gives our clients permission to say like yeah, like that's fun, yeah, but it isn't yeah. that. And there's and we're not attached to it too heavily, and they're not attached to it too heavily. What's really interesting about this, you know, not so sophisticated system, is what I we find over time. We have clients who sometimes say like, hey, your drunk wasn't drunk enough this time. Oh, really? We want to yeah. see you push the boat out. And occasionally, like, people will, will see and respond with, you know, not their rational brain, but their emotional brain will just will love the thing that really pushes the boat out and say, like, can we do that one? Like, yeah. We can do that one. Yeah. Okay, let's go for it. So it's a, it's a fun, simple model for keeping the, the a, you know, a creative world that's now very rational, very measured, mm -hmm. very evidence-based, just keeping a bit of that wonder and that magic in the mix about earlier. Mm. Yeah. and i love that it's something we can all relate to unfortunately sober, tipsy, drunk. <laughs> yes, so no, you can yeah. kind of break down any pretense and, and we, we had one fantastic client <laughs> recently say with us feel free to go hallucinogenic oh like, really mushrooms which, which, wow, is, which is exciting they're not legal in australia unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> not that i condone any mm. of that stuff because i don't really get involved but i feel cooler when i do talk about it <laughs> <laughs> Gives me street cred. <laughs> yeah, what, what's something people don't know about you? Um, my go-to answer for this is always, although now it's always, everyone knows this, is that I know every word to Shaggy's song, Bombastic. Um, <laughs> Mr. Lover, Lover. Exactly. That's, the <laughs> that's one. all I know. That's my jam. Um <laughs> Otherwise, like, there's not too much. I'm, I'm sort of an open-ish book. Yeah, work me and home me aren't massively different. And I, f I think that's kind of has always been helpful, um, you know, as I've gone from, you know, just trying to do stuff myself to managing other people to then managing teams of people and now, you know, kind of managing an, an agency of people. Um, 
being authentic is just easier. Mm. Um, yeah, you don't have true, to think too hard true. about which mode you're in. Yeah. Um, and it's also, I think, you know, that the vulnerability that comes with just being yourself um, is is a really nice way to cut through the, the you know, power dynamics and, and everything that comes with titles and management lines yeah. and all the rest. So, yeah, I'm kind of an open book. Who I am at work is kind of just who, who I you am. Are. Yeah. Mm. That's a bit like me, really. I put myself out there quite a bit. I mean, the podcast is probably one way of doing it. <laughs> when people meet me and they hear me, they go, oh, you're just like... Yeah, you sound like you. You yeah, sound like I'm, you. I think you're I'm sitting here thinking the same thing. Oh, you sound so much like the guy, guy from the podcast. You're guy and you're just as <laughs> daggy as the guy on the podcast. And it's like, yep, 100%. I'm t- t- it's too late to change now. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. So we've talked... I'd love to just keep talking about music and bands and, you know... Uh, uh, agile models and waterfall models and all that. I geek all out. The, all the geeky Design stuff. thinking. I really geek out on a bit of that <laughs> stuff. I really, really do. We'll save that for when we're either tipsy. Uh, what was it? Sober or drunk. Tipsy, yeah. sober, sober, tipsy or drunk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what are you currently working on? Maybe just talk about some of the projects you are working on and applying these philosophies or these processes or these ways, models, frameworks. I mean, we get to work with some wonderful clients uh, and often we get to work with clients who aren't quite sure what to do next, which I think is some of the most interesting work. You know, Sometimes we're working on briefs where you know, someone will say, hey, is there a written brief? And the answer is no, because this kind of came out of a discussion where a client was being open with us and explaining, you know, we're not quite sure where to go next or what, what does the future look like or what should we, you know, what should we be chasing? Um, and so a lot of our really interesting projects are down those kinds of lines. Um, at the moment, we're chatting with one of our, you know, longest um, and best client relationships with uh, Tourism Australia. We've always been fantastic to work with, and it's been brilliant to be able to do work that supports the Australian tourism industry. Um, you know, right now we're talking about how do we, you know, and they've been very open about their strategies all about winning in consideration and how do you make sure that Australia is, you know, back on people's lists, not as a someday you know, destination, but as a someday soon destination. So we're doing really interesting work with them, talking about how digital channels can help them win in consideration. Uh, we also get to work with McDonald's, one of the most amazing brands, you know, on the face of the earth, you know, a huge part of like the lives of lots of us. Um, and with them, we're talking about uh, how do we elevate CRM? I mean, you know, there's, I think CRM, email-based and push notification-based communication often gets overlooked as, you know, something we don't really think about or champion or celebrate too intensely. But Maccas is really keen to make sure that every time they're engaging with people, they're, they're bringing joy and happiness into people's worlds. And they're asking us, how do we make sure that, you know, our CRM comms are, embody more of, you know, what the brand stands for, which is really compelling. Um, we're also working with a fantastic internet service provider called Superloop. Um, if you haven't heard of Superloop yet, you will really soon. Um, fantastic ISP um, who offer, you know, they're really trying to change the game. They're a challenger brand, but they're doing more than just saying that. They're actually acting as that. Oh, and really? they're, yeah. they're bringing, you know, amazing new products and services sort of to the Australian, you know, ISP industry and they're here to shake it up. And so we're working with them right now around their digital experiences and how do they, you know, make sure they're delivering digital experiences that that live up to that. Um, so those kinds of projects are the ones that we really love uh, where we're, you know, helping brands go beyond what they have today and how, how do they you know, elevate what they're doing tomorrow. The rapid rate of change in 
the marketing and advertising industries is quite, you know, just mind-boggling, to be honest, and, and it's really quite hard to keep up. You sound like you know what you're talking about, so I might Thanks. ask you a few. <laughs> <laughs> I might ask you a few, a few little gnarly questions, um, and they're not trick questions by any means, but um, there was a lot of talk of big data and small data and too much data and, and data, 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 data. Um, we know that data insights are pivotal in marketing, Um could you explain how you use data to inform your creative decisions whilst trying to retain that human kind of um, magic that we alluded to earlier? One of the easiest ways to lean into data but keep the magic is to have magical data people. And we, we oh. have mm. we have some really magical data people, um, you know, from, from Maurice Riley, who's our... our um, uh, chief data officer and that entire team uh, are all really fascinating, interesting, funny, charming, witty people who just so happen to be really smart and very skilled in how to you know, turn numbers into insights about people. So that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also, you know, a lot of us spend a lot of time learning how to ask the right kinds of questions. Sure. Because asking questions is a very human thing. You know, it, it's a very it's normal to be curious and inquisitive. And if you're asking the right kinds of questions, you get to the right kind, you know, the more interesting kinds of answers from a, um, you know, functionally and, you know, from a business point of view, the thing we keep telling our clients is it's not about having all the data in the world. You don't want all the data in the world. It's, you know, it all gets too confusing, but there is a real competitive, competitive advantage to be had in understanding the data that you create and that you own and that you know customers give to you that they're not giving to others that can be a really strong competitive advantage um to be nerdy for a second you know zero party data the information that people you know overtly tell you about themselves first party data the you know information you can infer from them based on how they behave on your platforms those things can be hugely effective um either from a you know how to make your own platforms better or how to make your media buying you know 20 percent more efficient um the so i guess it's those two things it's not ask everything and know everything it's ask the right questions and collect the most you know the most valuable data and create experiences that can help you collect that data because it can be you know really transformative for businesses when they when they get to the right level of customer intelligence the, the, the one that I alluded to was um, that personalization and this hyper personalization. I know there's a lot of these shifts towards the end of cookies and these new Google models and Google Analytics changing their algorithm and all of that stuff. What do you think the impacts will be um, from an advertising perspective? And how do we manage those privacy concerns, but still try and ensure that we're serving our clients' needs to speak to people at the right time with the right products in the right context? I mean, there's lots we could say and lots of things that I'll defer to others smarter than me to say. I think one of the key tenants to keep in mind that help navigate that fine line between you know, data privacy and respecting people's privacy and, and also you know, finding business advantage is to put customers first. Yeah. Australians are very, very overt about what we think and feel about our own data and our privacy. Um, we conducted research recently which showed that, you know, we're actually asking people about what they care about most when it comes to the internet and, you know, number two on that list was, was data and privacy. And so when, as a business, if you're trying to, you know, model out how can we use data and intelligence to, you know, reach better business goals, start by thinking about what do people want help with what are they trying to achieve and what what information they're willing to give to us 
in exchange for that data. I think as long as you're starting from that point, you can avoid you know a, a whole bunch of sort of data privacy minefields because you're acting in service of of your audience, and so you're not trying to you know find out things about them that they don't want you to know. That's not mm. that's not the intent at all. It's much more about how do you create a value exchange where there's something that they want to achieve, and that might just be they want to be entertained, or they want to be informed, or they want a discount, or they want to win a prize, or whatever that you know that value exchange might be. And they're willing to give you their information and permission mm. to use that, you know, that information uh, in exchange for that thing. I think that's where modern marketers are thinking more and more, um, and it's it's probably the, the the right path towards building valuable data that you can actually safely use. Australians are you know sort of sort of over being interrupted by a lot of the work that our industry makes and we should take that really seriously because they now have the freedom to avoid it as you said yeah, ad blockers yeah. or subscription services or you know simply switching channels or second screening or whatever um, people have a lot of autonomy to avoid interrupted advertising and so we have to go back to focusing on what do people want you know what do they want to engage with what's the value that they want from brands what are the challenges they're trying to solve or the entertainment they're trying to find you know what are they thinking and feeling and doing at the point where you want to engage with them and how do you make something they actively want? If you can do that, then, you know, all of the headaches around how to get and hold their attention and, you know, a lot of the metrics of click-through rates and bounce rates and all those things start to start to fade into the background. Mm. Um, you end up creating not just customers but advocates who go and talk on behalf of your brand and, you know, build communities around your brand and um, come back for more and actively seek you out. So... It's simple, but make things people want. It moves so quickly. You know, it's really hard to keep up. But I just want to get your thoughts on some of these topics. And I'll throw the topics Please. out there. Now, I'll start with integrated marketing campaigns. Now, far more integrated, far more fragmented. How do you align around brand and performance objectives? We use uh, journey-based ideation to make the customer journey and the person we're trying to talk to the center of our decision-making process. Well, there you go. Okay, this is good. I like this. Cool. Right, this great. is cool. This feels like being you know, an exam. <laughs> um, so we spoke a little bit about data, but data-driven decision-making, what um, and how do you at Digitus use the data to inform your decisions, both from a campaign perspective and maybe even internally, like operations and so on? Uh, if it matters, measure it. Is kind of our mantra, um, and if and if you don't measure it, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So um, therefore, you can use you know the data that matters to inform an idea, but you should also be thinking about how that idea will will create data that matters to you. Mm. Uh, you know what you want to measure during a campaign, what you want to measure from a platform. Um, yeah, thinking about measuring what matters, I think, is the the key. What are your thoughts of digital transformation? People have been talking about digital transformation for quite some time and arguably even the term digital feels a little bit redundant because pretty much everything we consume media-wise is digital. What is left to change in order for us to be truly sort of digitally immersive, assuming that it's a good place to be once we get there? It's a great place to be. We always thought, I think as an industry, we all thought digital transformation was about technology. <clears throat> what we miss is it was all about culture, creating cultures that lean into data, that lean into customer-led decision-making. So if you're running an organization and you're trying to run a digital transformation or marketing transformation, you have to change the culture of the place 
before changing the technology of the place or else you'll end up with uh, you know, a chasm of disappointment between the technology that you bought and what it could potentially do and the reality of what it does because you haven't got a culture and a way of thinking that knows how to make the most of that technology. So think more about shifting your culture before you think about changing your tech. How does that influence collaborative processes between creatives and the, I guess, the more business-based professionals that you are responsible for in your role as the MD? We use journey maps almost religiously. Um, and I, if you have used journey maps, you probably giggle at that idea. If you haven't, basically it's a big chart that says across every stage from you know when a, first, a person first hears about your brand to the moment they are you know a hardcore advocate, what are they thinking, feeling, and doing at each of those mm. stages? Mm. It's a blueprint, and it it basically creates a whole bunch of micro briefs for creative thinkers, whether they you know have creative titles or not, to try to solve. Um, it's it it, it balances that tension of what's a business trying to achieve uh, with what a person needs, and therefore what's the role of the brand at each of those stages. And if you can solve those things, then you're delivering value. And what's good about a journey map when it's built properly is it it does a great job of balancing. You need to you know earn someone's attention and retain their attention, earn their engagement, retain their engagement, but also get them to do something valuable for the business. Experiential marketing. I'll just throw that out there. But uh, there's a lot of this physical slash digital work that you're seeing more so in social media, um, and I, I find this almost as though it's becoming not so much a unique thing that was once the, the domain of specialist agencies. It's just, it's almost a table stake now that clients are expecting this offline, online mm. mesh. What are your thoughts on that? And is it something you do at Digitus? Uh, yeah, I think experiential marketing used to be a, a specialism. And nowadays in a world where almost all advertising marketing experiences can be made interactive... Mm. And they can, in fact, you know, in most cases, they can be, they can facilitate a commerce exchange. I think all marketing should aim to be experiential. Mm. And, you know, getting someone's attention is not as valuable as getting someone's engagement. So, you know, we try to always think about what's an action that someone can take off anything we make, whether it's, you know, if, if it's a dynamically created banner or an email or it's a, you know, a, a big live stream um, across multiple social pl- you know, channels, there's always the thought of, okay, but what's someone going to do next? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so, I, and yeah, I think we do it constantly, but I think most agencies are doing that constantly. I think, you know, gone are the days where you'd be a specialist in the kind of populist messaging or a specialist in the personal interaction. You know, the best campaigns in the world and the stuff we're consistently seeing, you know, celebrated globally are campaigns that are simultaneously populist and personal. They are, mm. they, you know, they, they're broadcast moments, they speak to the masses, but they give individuals a very quick, you know, way to engage and interact. So they are inherently experiential. What's your favourite piece of creative work? And how do you determine good creative work? Right now... You might be meaning within the industry, but I guess where anywhere, I'm, I'm, yeah, really, yeah. I mean, right now, my favorite piece of creative work is a virtual instrument, a, a, what you call a plug-in for you know, recording software, that's called the instrument. It's made by uh, this music producer who has realized that for a lot of people, music is not about performance and it's not about production; it's about play, the joy of making music. And so he's created this one simple plugin that lets you sort of not think and just do 
and yet instantly be creating unique music that is yours that's in that moment um it's it is my favorite kind of creative thing right now because it makes uh, gives me better access to something i love it fits into my lifestyle which is you know i don't have as much time as i used to to sit and you know i used to spend my entire nights working on music production and these days my entire nights i need to sleep so um <laughs> you know this this it, it makes music joyful again and the interface is fun he creates content on a weekly basis for everyone who's using the instrument to you know to learn new things um it for me it just does a really good job of like it's beautifully designed the output is beautiful the idea is really simple. Some people just want music to be fun again, huh. and he's made it. So, is it like gamifying music? Yeah, kind in a sense? of. It's yeah. a really hard thing to explain without getting too nerdy. But basically, it puts you're. It's not like an AI based music thing, which there's a lot. Yeah, of Yeah, that's now. where I was going with it. I, I was wondering. If... It's all the choices are yours. You make a bunch of selections, and then you can very simply, you know, touching keyboard buttons just create sounds that are fun and so there's sound. still a tactile so quality yeah. that you need to actually you're still making music you're still engaged you're still you know you're still recording things it's just it's just made it's really joyful and, and sure. fun and so i think that i mean for me it's joyful it's fun and it fits my world i guess that's my criteria for creative work that joyful. I love. what was that joyful it's joyful it's fun and it fits my world and in some cases you know that can be YouTube content that teaches me how to, you know, fix something that's broken in my house, but also makes me laugh. Mm. Or it can be, uh, you know, it, it can be a film, or it can be a book, or it can be a performance, or it can be, you know, it, it can be all sorts of things. And joyful doesn't necessarily have to mean it's always happy. I think there's a certain, there's a kind of a joy in having an emotional response mm. in any direction. But well, you're yeah. doing, you're setting a task pretty high, aren't you? If you can go out there and create content and connections that are entertaining engaging and informative yeah you're pretty much in a really good space aren't mm. you I mean, which which used to be um i think kind of a, a really high bar whereas now like in a world of tiktok you've got billions of people who are trying to do that yeah. every day multiple yeah. times a day so like the bar is very high for those of us who are trying to make creative things that are worthy of people's time mm. it is a ultra competitive sport now What's your creative process? Because you do wear the two hats. I mean, we've spoken a little bit about your business processes and your organizational processes. What, what's your creative process and do you have one? Um, I switch. And maybe this duality is, is, um, is a recurring theme that I'm noticing. Uh, in some cases, I like to be sort of methodical. So we'll do journey-based ideation. You know, I'll work with strategists and data heads and, and often media heads to, you know, we get a certain level of information about who we're designing for and it's quite sort of systematic and it's what are they thinking, what are they feeling, what are they doing in that moment, what do we want them to be thinking, feeling and doing, you know, going and finding examples of things that have done it in other industries and then, you know, going from there it can be quite sort of methodical and explorative in that way. Sometimes it's just pure instinct and... Mm. And, you know, moments of inspiration and, you know, sometimes it's read the brief, leave the office, go walking for three hours, yeah, come yeah. back and you've got one idea and one idea only, but you're pretty certain it's the right thing. Mm. Um, I think, you know, a healthy dose of, of both is good. Yeah. Um, we also have, you know, any time I get stuck, which can happen. I was going to ask you about how you beat Creative Block, but let's go. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, which happens lots. There's this really cute ethos at Digitas, you know, used to be kind of the insignia around our logo, which is truth, connection, wonder. 
Truth, connection, wonder. Yeah, love that. Which, you know, and it can sound a bit dogmatic. Maybe. There's a triune quality. Anything that you can break down into three words it has this resonance. It's almost like the Trinitarian's view of God. Father, the Son, and the Holy. Ethos, yeah. pathos, logos. Totally. Aristotle and the Hellenic uh, influences that they've had on our culture. But it's it, there's a three magic, isn't there? There's yeah, good things triune. from in threes. Totally. Yeah. And so for us, you know, truth, connection, wonder is the simplest version of what we try to do on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. So if I'm trying to crack a brief and I'm stuck, it's a really simple, okay, thing one, have I got an interesting human truth? You know, have I found myself or has someone given me one or is there one in the brief or is there one that I can go and find? And if the answer is no, well then, okay, that's a place to start. Go go try to find something out that's that you can, you know, use or exploit or tap into. And then from that, am I trying to build connection? Because ultimately, you know, marketing, advertising is about brands connecting with people that's kind of the output. So is am I trying to actively do that? And if I'm not, if I'm just trying to come up with a funny tagline or a, you know, I'm trying to write a jingle, I'm like, well, hang on, am I, how am I creating a connection? What's the, what's the mechanic or the ambition there? And if you've got those two things and then, but it's things that still doesn't feel interesting enough, well, then what's missing is the wonder. Like how do I, how do I take something that can be quite mechanical and make it a bit special and exciting and there's there's loads of great examples of of that work um some wonderful work from our cousins across the corridor at leah burnett who um you know they they made a talking car last year and it was called harvey and it was great work that could have just stopped at well the truth is people have questions about cars and one of these things so we'll make connection by building a chatbot fine yeah. but not very special but when they went, yeah but what if the car was the chatbot and you could talk to it and you could talk to it online but you could also talk to it in the real world and it would interact with you and it had a personality and it was funny and it was and you know this and they built this before chat gpt you know kind of went public um you know that that for me is a great example of truth connection wonder and i could imagine someone being you know halfway through that idea and thinking like it's okay but it's it's a chatbot but once you go oh no we're going to make it the, the car is going to talk and suddenly your imagination takes off and you know you think about what you would ask a car and how a car would talk back and you know it's i just think it's a really simple truth connection wonder if you have all three you're onto something good if it doesn't feel good yet you haven't got all three yeah yeah that's brilliant advice brilliant advice you talked about chat gtp and just quickly i know there's probably you know other episodes that we can Refer to when we talk about a chat, chat GTP, and it's been this, it's, that topic's been saturated. It's been talked about it's a lot. Talked yeah. about quite a bit. It's saturating the, the discourse at the moment. Are you are you worried about chat GTP? What are the, uh, the the implications for creative industries and whatnot? I mean, I'm I mean I'm excited by generative AI um, and how it's pushing us forward. I think IBM said this week, and others have said it before. AI won't take your jobs, but someone who uses AI might. Um, so I do think we have to take it seriously and lean into it, and we're leaning into it quite heavily here. We've got a, a you know SWAT team of sort of AI evangelists internally who are leaning into that space heavily. Well, how did they do that though? Because what? How could you leverage the benefits of ChatGTP? I'm thinking like this direct to consumer, um, you know, uh, ED, everything from EDMs to social media, back and forth. The, the maintenance of those brand interactions, um, not so much the big moments that matter, but some of the smaller ones that need to be brand aligned but still serve some sort of longer term, um, either brand or maybe somewhat shorter term, but not immediate performance objectives. Yeah. I mean, I think there's loads of ways to to experiment with and long-term sort of systematically used generative AI. Um, currently, my brain's working in sort of on two 
directions. One is the the big ethos-y kind of thing, which is when you think about what brands want, they want fame, they want attention, they want to be loved, they want loyalty. Brands want human things, right? Those are all very human things. They're not really very businessy things. Brands want like to receive human kind of affection. And in a world where the channels where they can do that are becoming increasingly one-to-one, it's very difficult for brands to do that, right? Because they, they, they want to be treated like a human, but they can't really behave like a human. Yeah, isn't that ironic? And so um, AI has the potential to help brands be more human. Yeah, by that's using where more I was robots, going with the irony. Yeah, it's funny. Which is interesting. And so I think yeah. that's, you know, there's a, there's a kind of philosophical position that I think is interesting and brands need to be more human and AI can help them be more human. Mm. But then at the, at the really pragmatic end, um, there's some fantastic case studies floating around and it's an example I'm referencing a lot at the moment where, um, you know, on commerce platforms like you know choose anyone you want but um like amazon as an example some really high performing brands are rewriting their product descriptions on a weekly basis really because based on search engine optimization type techniques for that platform that's incredibly labor intensive and you know some of the brands that are doing that are doing it at a global scale because they've got you know a, a lot of employees but it's making it really hard for smaller players to compete because they don't have the humans avail- you know, available to yeah, write yeah. product descriptions on a yeah. weekly basis. And to be honest, who wants to write product descriptions every day, day in, day yeah, out? Exactly. What brands could do and, and have started doing is train their own AIs, so not use chat GPT, but train one of their own, which is increasingly accessible, to learn what the most effective product descriptions they have are, optimize their descriptions to that, and then ingest you know, search data on a weekly basis to update those things which can give them a real competitive advantage in those hyper competitive commerce marketplaces mm-hmm. so you know so that's at the at the really kind of hardcore performance end and then everything else goes across the spectrum so um i think there's loads of applications i think the smart thing for brands to do right now is to focus on the problems they're trying to solve um that will get into use cases and then use cases get into you know, tests and from tests yeah. they can get to some, some yeah. confidence. I think anyone who's trying to blow everything up and go all AI is missing the point. But I don't think anyone who's ignoring, ig- of it. ignoring yeah. it is yeah. also missing the point. Parking AI for a second, what other trends do you think are either exciting or worrying for the industry? I think we need to continue getting comfortable with the idea that our ability to interrupt people on their path to things they really want, is that's going to get harder and harder. There's, mm-hmm. you know, industries that are seeing that right now there's obviously you know in australia there's a lot of conversation around gambling industries in new south wales at least and and how they can advertise and i think you know as time goes on people will take more and more autonomy about who they want to be advertised to buy so i think you know that's that's an ongoing trend um i think we used to talk a lot about representation in advertising in australia and i feel like we're getting to a point where we're talking about that less and doing it more which is good mm, to see mm, yeah. um, I'm sure we have a long way to go still but I think that's something you know that we have a responsibility to continue having authentic representations of the diversity of this wonderful place for sure yeah. um, and I think from a kind of data and digital point of view brands are, are starting to understand that they can create the intelligence they want they can make experiences that will help them learn about customers while mm. customers learn about them. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And then the broad sweeping statement is if you look to the US and the UK, they tend to be three years ahead of us in terms yeah, of a lot of digital yeah. experience things. And so that's a pretty easy place to look. And, and we often, you know, we have um, agencies in that part of the world and very often we're just 
asking them, hey, what are you doing right now? And what were you doing three years ago? Yeah. And if, if we're not doing what they were doing three years ago yet, we're way behind and we should be planning for what they're doing next. What's the bleeding edge, the scary stuff that they're talking about at the moment that, that makes you either go, ooh, I'm crapping my pants or I'm <laughs> super, super, super excited? I think the gaming world is a, is a fascinating place for us to learn from because where we talk about you know experiential and interactive and dynamic and all these things and trying to make that a reality now, gaming has been doing that for its entirety. Can I just pause you there? Unreal Engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've just done this trailer for, this short for uh, Ghostbusters. The whole thing was done in real time. It's almost like um, the whole gameplay is a cutscene. It looks scene. like that, yeah. It's crazy. So Unreal Engine has is com- like fundamentally changing production. I think from a production point of view, it's fascinating. I mean, going back to my music nerd, there's a lot happening in the music world right now around whether you know the role of artificial intelligence in music and and you know spotify is now being inundated with 60 second long automated tracks so people can try and gain the system which Mm. which hurts musicians and you know that sort of stuff worries me um but i think i mean the fundamental thing that won't change never has i mean there's a fantastic definition of what is marketing from the late 70s which is marketing is understanding and meeting people's needs yeah that's true and that won't change. Understanding the needs of your market and responding to them. <laughs> Pretty simple, right? You know, so, yeah, yeah, true. So everything's, true. everything's scary and then it isn't. True. So just keep doing that. And that's a brilliant insight. What piece of advice and what insights would you give to others who wanted to pursue a career in, in marketing broadly? Um, um, uh, do it if you're passionate about it. It's a hard thing to fake passion for. Mm. Um, and learn heaps and realize that while you know i guess if you're young or you're new to the industry that can feel really intimidating those of us who are sort of less young and less new to the industry desperately want new perspectives all the time we can get so easily kind of colorblind to what's happening and the realities you mentioned earlier you know as a creative in particular it's there's always a high risk of making things for yourself so fresh perspectives are kind of the lifeblood of our industry and we need them. So if, you, if you're passionate about the industry, like get involved. And there's lots of paths in. One of the easiest ones is literally write to people who you respect and ask them for their advice and, and mentorship. And most of us say yes most of the time. Yeah, well, you've taken an unconventional path into your role, haven't you, I mean, starting out? It doesn't seem, when you think about it, it doesn't seem unconventional, but it is not the well-trodden path of... of Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't go to any of the schools. I didn't do the the normal thing but increasingly look like a lot of people don't a lot of folks that we work with um you know in, at digitas in particular but increasingly in the industry uh, come from all sorts of interesting walks mm. of life mm. um so there's not really a there's not a, a one way in um if you if you're an interesting and interested person there's a role for you in this mm. business how would you summarize all of that all of the, all of what we've, we've covered a lot um and and your models and frameworks and philosophies are really 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 insightful how would you package all that up into a little um bite in the digital sense of wisdom there's a t.s Eliot quote at least it's attributed to t.s Eliot. i feel like quotes are always misattributed but anyway there's this quote that says uh if you're not in over your head how can you know how tall you are <laughs> which I've always really enjoyed because it feels like it makes being out of your depth a positive. Yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. you know, if you look at my career path or if you look at most things I've ever been involved in, it always starts with getting in over your head and then 
if you're not tall enough, that's fine. You can tend yeah. to ask others for help and they'll help you. That's fantastic. I love that. And it's so visual. What I, part of my little joy is I turn these bites wisdom into little, you know, gifts or mm. Um, mm. just visuals. You know, they're mostly static, you know. Uh, I'd love to animate them one time. If anyone wants to volunteer and, and, and create these static or animated uh, um assets for me i'd be I'd really appreciate there's, there's, there's an ai for that for but, sure. yeah but at the moment I'm, I'm just happy with them being stills but that's a very visual one i can see that yeah thank you so much simon for your time um i've i've loved this and i think our audience will as well there's so much there to unpack and it's worth worth it's going to be well worth a multiple listen i think oh thanks is there anything you wanted to leave the audience with uh, is there anything to watch out for where can we find you if we want to pick your brains on all things digital creativity uh, managing agencies and people and the like? Um, you can find me every day at the Publicist HQ in Sydney because I'm a big believer in being in, or in the office and around others. I think it's a huge yeah, source of yeah. energy. Um, or find me on LinkedIn if you want to. I'm easy enough to find there. Or just track me down the street. Happy to chat anytime. Fantastic. Thanks, Simon. Simon Brock, everyone. That was fantastic. Thank you. Peace. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Excellent. Thanks. I pretended I, like, like, I, I was almost sounding like I knew what I was talking about. I think I, I, I know I'm in the shallow end. If you'd like to find out more about me or the B-Side podcast, please visit jamesbside.com. That's one word, jamesbside.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at B-Side Podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback on the show, please email me at hello at jamesbside.com. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. The B-Side with James Barrow is produced by me, and I really hope it's helped unlock your creative potential. Thanks for listening, and until next episode, cheers.